0: This morning, I started to talk to you on the title of the message was Forgiven. We'll call this Forgiven Part 2. We'll continue from there. All right. If you, if you didn't listen to this morning's message, especially those in other locations, if you didn't listen to this morning's message, I suggest you do. Uh, it's in, let me see where I'm supposed to be. Second Samuel, chapter number... Eleven, and we started off with the story of, of of David, whom I said to you, and I'm going to take two minutes to recap David. And this doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to this morning's message because I can't repeat some of the, the important points within in the story, in, in a two-minute summary. But just the backdrop of the story, it says in the time that kings go out to war, David was supposed to be on the warfield. He was supposed to be in battle. That's what King David was called to do, and that was what King David. Uh, did. And David has now ascended up to the highest level that he could possibly go. He is the king of Israel. And God had made certain promises to David. And that these promises includes things that God would have done up to that point, And certain things that God would do through David's life, even long after David's gone. We know that the Savior would come through the, through the lineage of David and be seated on the throne of David and this kingdom would last in, into it all eternity. And, and David is one of the great, 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 great granddads grand of, of Jesus. If you, if you want to make that very humanistic, uh, human simplistic, humanistic, human simply, I don't know if that's a word. If you want to just put it very simply and, and easily to understand. So, so all of these things is happening in David's life. He's at the height of, of his career everything that David does is successful everything they I mean they wrote songs about David it's not the type of songs you sing to your girlfriend it's like real songs they wrote songs about David David was the guy I mean David was skilled at playing the harp he played for the king he was chased chased down by the king and he was a guy that had character and and his ethics was just up there he was doing everything so well until one day that David was bored and stood on the palace's roof and saw Bitsheba take a bath. And he said, go get that girl for me, that woman. And his servants went to get her and he slept with her and she conceived. And she sent word to him and said, I am with child. And David thought to myself, oh, snap. That's sort of something you can see. If you could just hide the act, because how many people nowadays um, don't consider the act of marriage... A sacred thing and that what really makes you one is reserved for marriage alone people don't accept that as a boundary and expect god to be involved in your marriage but we begin to violate god's framework long before marriage even starts and you start on the wrong foot and then you have to spend much of what the early years of your marriage is correcting what you started wrong Oh, so serious. So quickly It's still supposed to be the summary. And David, she said to David, I'm pregnant. David said, okay, how can we get this? It's easy to, to sleep together. No one can see, but when you fall pregnant that everybody can see, everybody can see you're pregnant. You can't hide it. You go on Facebook and just own it. Hi, I'm with child and act like you don't understand why people's upset with you. Who's the husband? No one knows. And David said, "Okay, we have to deal with this thing." And so, how he meant to deal with it was to get Uriah to come back from the war zone. He came back, Uriah sat down with him. He said, "Okay, well done, da, da da Go home now," hoping that Uriah would sleep with his own wife, and then they could say it's Uriah's child. I don't know how he thought you because he was. Uh, the Bible says David was ruddy. I, was, I I don't know if it was means that David was red-headed. But in my mind, I used to think that David was red head um, reddish in appearance. So here, if, if this deal would have worked and Uriah went home, slept with his wife and she became pregnant. And one day they're standing at the hospital, baby comes out, ruikop <laughs> Uriah looks in the mirror, go like, but I have blonde hair. This is red hair. This is, who could this look like? I just, is this my child? And in the hospital is a photo of King David. And he goes like, <laughs> who could this be? Looks at his wife and she why does he look like David? <laughs> it's going to happen. But Uriah didn't. And Uriah, there's a lot of things said there. Uriah went back to the war zone. David had him killed. He comes back. Uriah's now dead. David goes like, <sighs> close call. Now I'll marry her and then they'll think it's because we were married. And it's all good. And it's hidden. God doesn't see. And, and the reason I went on that direction is to show you that we... We hold leadership in highest esteem, but not just leadership. We hold everybody else at a level that we don't function in ourselves. We often identify sins in other people's lives that we think disqualifies them. But when we make the same mistake, it doesn't disqualify us. We were just in a season that happened to cause it. They themselves don't have an excuse. And so I wanted to point out David because David is God's guy. There is, there, there is no one like David in the Bible. I mean, David's the guy. And now if you look through Hebrews chapter 11, that gives you uh, the heroes of our faith. It talks about Abraham, right? Abraham said of his wife that she's, he is the father of faith and was so fearful, being the father of faith, that he said, this is my sister, not my wife. There's a couple of people. I think there's a prostitute in the heroes of faith listed in Hebrews 11. We think that when you are a Christian, you are flawless. People leave the church because a pastor disappoints them. Do you know of anyone that's left the church? How many of you know someone that's left the church? How many of them say they were just not impressed with God? Like, God didn't do it for me. You never really saw God, but most of those people that left church would say something like, got church hurt, right? A person hurt me. Somebody backstabbed me. Oh no, that pastor, he's just after your money. People have left the church because they are disappointed with people. They leave their faith because they're disappointed with people. People hurt me. Then they go to another church. That's got people in it. <laughs> Some people have left the church because this church is just too big. There are too many people. I can't deal with all of your sins. I can deal with a small church, a small number of people that's got small number of sins. And then, and I like a church where there's no hierarchy, where we don't have a pastor that comes in after the church has already begun. Why does the pastor come in after the service has started? Why can't he be like all of us? These are questions people ask. and they take offense at stuff like that. I don't have a reason because I'm still begging God by the first song for a message. I don't come in for dramatic effect. I come in because that's the time I take to save this message and go like, This is my last ditch attempt to get God to just speak to me. God, are you sure about this? Did I hear you or was it just me? And then often. No response, like every Sunday, we just hope for the best. People leave the church for for, for very many, many reasons. And the reason I took David is because, because David wrote Psalms. It's quite a big portion of the Bible. Psalms is like a lot. If you, if you read the Bible, Psalms is tough to read. So you should read the Bible then some Psalms and then more of the Bible and then some Psalms so that you, you get through the Psalms by the time you've gone through the Bible. Otherwise you're not going to, you, you can't just leave Psalms and just read Psalms. But David wrote the Psalms. Now I, I want to point out that how many of you've written a Psalm that's got published or a poem? Anybody here wrote a poem, not published on Facebook. <laughs> you're like published. That's not, I mean, literally placed in national papers. How about the Bible? So David wrote Psalms. David's the guy. And yet, because he's that level of a guy, David can get away with it. David can get away with it. It I mean, he he slept with Uriah's wife. That's another guy's wife. That's like the Bible says, do not covet. It says, do not look upon your neighbor's wife. I mean, you shouldn't. How many Christians know that that's wrong? All of you, yes. Not only does he have a baby with another guy's wife, he gets the guy, sits down with dinner for dinner with this guy, chats to him. Then the guy tries to get this guy to go home, have a baby and act like it's his. Hi, Raya. You okay? Looks just like you. Got your eyes. That doesn't work out. Uriah doesn't. So he says, let's get Uriah killed. But now it's a a mess because Uriah's going back to Joab. Joab is the commander of the army. And Joab is the guy that has to kill Uriah. So what he does is he writes Joab a letter. He says, put Uriah in the front line so that he dies quickly. Seals the letter, gives it to, uh, who can I send to Joab? Uh, Uriah. Uriah. Just take this letter. Don't read it to Joab, bye now. (laughs) He gives Uriah the letter that says, have Uriah killed and has Uriah walk with a letter in it that's get written on this letter says, Uriah has to die. And Uriah carries own death sentence all the way back to the army. David goes like, oh, he's gone. Problem solved. This is David. Does this mean? That when God said, David, I'll do this through your life, that God wasn't intending to do it. And after this, could God not do what God said he was going to do through David? And so we sometimes disqualify other people, yet we have a figure like David who was, by all our disqualification methods, disqualified. If we leave a church because a pastor doesn't cut it, how much grace would you have had for David? The pastor says something that offends you. How much grace would you have had for David? There are church leaders all over the world that make mistakes because they're supposed to be superhuman. The point is that David was uh, just manned like you and I. We are all just made of soil of the earth. And we're all desperately in need of a savior. The story of David, as the last point, is used by some people as an excuse. David did it, got away with it. I mean, God restored David. I'm just a human being. I can sin. I mean, if God could restore David, he can restore me. Some of us use the story of David as an excuse. Some of us look at the story of David and say, uh, David is the king and he did that. If if God did not kill him, surely God has grace for me. And we hide behind it. And we give ourselves a license to continue the way we do things because David got away with it. This is not what the story is intending to tell us. It tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one person in this room that qualifies. There's not one person in this room that hasn't made a mistake. And if, if you ever leave the church because of a person, you yourself, you're also disqualified. Just as a matter of point, you got to just, if you just hear this, the moment you leave God's church, because you're disappointed in a person, you disqualify yourself. You don't believe me because you're a better good than that person. At what level good can you get into heaven? What level of good is not considered sin? Not enough sin to disqualify you from heaven. I want you to think about this. At what level are you good that God would say you don't need Jesus? So we playing chess on the earth, excluding God from it. This disqualifies you from being my pastor, but you can still go to heaven. I can leave church and still make it to heaven because my sin is not that bad that I'm disqualified, but it's better than your sin. All sin disqualifies. And all sin. So I'm using David to point to the radicalness of his sin and mistake. The man that knew God so well his entire life. We've been told about the accolades of David how he killed the giant, how he won every battle, how he was a man after God's heart. We've been told, and we get to a point where a man has the guts to write a death sentence in a letter and give it to the guy who's going to die. That's the kind of man David is. Is he disqualified? Then why do you allow the devil to disqualify you? Why are so many of us disqualified by our own sins? Or we disqualify someone else from ministry because of their sins. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, I want to tell you that at the same time, this Bible points and corrects our broken theology. Because while we, 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 we read the story, we also come under the impression that, gra- that, that grace gives you a license to continue to sin. It's not, not so. Because if you will see the story that happens in David's life, You'll realize that when you realize that you are living a lifestyle of sin, that you have to turn back to Jesus. Because if you don't, continuing in that path produces fruit. He slept with Uriah, that was wrong. Right? But that sin produced fruit. The fruit was a child. And that fruit identifies the sin. And don't think that continuing in sin will never produce fruit in your life. And it's not God that doesn't forgive you it's nor God nor does God disqualify you it's your sin that becomes an obstacle to you so the church is not preaching that sin will keep you out of heaven it's but it is preaching that if you continue in sin you are removing yourself it's not people that disqualify you amen but let's continue and we'll catch up the story we're in 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 Verses 25. Then David said to his messengers, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Strengthen your attack against the city, and overthrow it, so encourage him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and bore him a son. But this thing... This thing, I'll read verse 25. Put that on the screen again. Here we go. Then David said to his messengers, you shall say to David, do not let this thing, do not let this thing displease you. Joab sent word back to David and said, we've, we've made some mistakes. Some men were killed. Uriah's dead. He sends back message to Joab, says, do not let this thing, this thing, do not let this thing displease you. For the sword devours the one as well as the other. Strengthen yourself. Next verse. Her, she was dead. She mourned for her husband. Verse 20. She mourned for her husband just while being pregnant with David's baby. 27. And when her mourning was over, David sent to brought her to him, his house, because she became his wife and bore him a son. But this thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let's go back to 25 again. Do not let this thing displease you. Are you following? David says to Joab, horizontal level, do not let this thing displease you. I approve. Do not let this thing displease you. So many things we're trying to encourage one another. You have mates that tell you you're right. You have friends that encourage you in your sin. This is what we call group and peer pressure. No, man, have a, have a smoke. You have a smoke. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. Don't let it bother you. It's not an issue. No, you should move in together. Who buys a car without test driving it? You should do it. Don't let this thing bother you, man. it's just horizontally. We give stupid advice. Verse 25, don't let this thing displease you. Be careful that there are are things that don't displease you. Verse 27, but it displeases the Lord. So he marries Uriah's wife. Watch there. David sent and brought her to his house. He became his wife and bore him a son. But this thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God is watching. God is watching. It's not so much who's watching. It's not that Joab knew. It's not that David's servants knew. It's not that David's mates knew. It's the fact that God knew. Your problem is not in the fact that people disqualify you. When a person leaves the church because the pastor failed to meet his standards. That's not what disqualifies the pastor. Even if all of you are displeased with me and we're to leave. If God did not disqualify me, I'm not disqualified. You agree? Hoping that I don't disqualify myself. But it is a fact that people disqualify people and we encourage people and disqualify people at our own Measurements using our own measurements and we don't, we are not cognizant of what displeases God. And God asked no one to intervene. And so it says here that this thing displeased God. It displeased God when David watched Bathsheba take a bath. I mean, God can't be upset with David for being on the roof at the right time. David might not have been wrong. Glancing over and seeing the female body and moving on. But the fact is, he moved back and stopped and stared. And at that time, his seed was dropped into his mind. And, and I wonder if he turned around, wanted to walk away, but looked back one more time like Lot's wife. Like the Israelites walking out of Egypt, the meat pots of Egypt. I wonder how many of us walk away from the things of this earth being called by God, but just for a moment, look back, thinking, "Ooh." I still smell the marijuana. I miss me some Savannah. If I could just have a little bit of salt and a tequila and a melon, lemon, not lemon, melon, whatever you want to call it. By that time I was so drunk. I did not care. At the time, we got to tequila was salt all over. Isn't we? <laughs> David looked back. It displeased God when she came to his house, and David didn't stop. Displeased God when they slept together. Displeased God when he covered the sin. Displeased God when he wrote the letter, and he sat there and he contemplated how he would cover his own sins. Never once do you hear him talk to God. And this whole chapter, God is not even mentioned once. He doesn't even give it a second thought that he's in trouble. He needs Jesus right now. He needs God right now. He doesn't have Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, but he spoke a lot in Psalms about the coming savior. We turn to chapter 12. Is that okay? You're following the story. It's going to turn into maybe a multiple week service message. Cause I'm going to finish and work through this thing. There's a lot to learn from it. First lesson you were to learn this, this evening already is it don't disqualify pastors because you think they fall short. Bishop, my pastor said it, my pastor said it this way on, 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 on a video recently. He said in the Old Testament, no one could touch a leper because they would be unclean. No one could touch a dead body because they would be unclean. No one could come close to those things. But in the New Testament, Jesus touched lepers and cleaned them. He touched dead bodies and raised them. The New Testament is a testament of grace. Most of us act out our Christianity as if we're in the Old Testament. We disqualify left, right, and center. If we get away from toxic people, be careful that you're not the only person left. Because the truth be told, everybody's toxic. Even King David. And God still used him in spite of him. In spite of him and in spite of Uriah, God still used him. But David is still oblivious and this is where most of us is. We start in chapter 12, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is a prophet. Nathan represents the voice and the mouthpiece of God. And David is still the king of Israel when Saul, the kingship was removed from Saul. Samuel was sent, but he was sent to remove the kingship from him. There's a difference between David and Saul. Saul was disobedient to God. Saul wasn't nearly as bad a sinner as David is a sinner. I mean, in Genesis 2, we're already told that man and wife shall become one flesh. Man shall leave his father's house and they shall become one flesh. David marries multiple wives. David is already doing stupid things. But Saul, we don't read of any of Saul's sins. We don't read anything that Saul ever did wrong. And God was upset at the first time that Saul makes a mistake. God removes the kingship from him. David, God excuses and, and, and David goes on with his life and we read of David's missteps multiple times. His own sons kills one another. His own sons rapes his own daughters. His household is in chaos sometimes and God excuses him because he's the beloved of God but he is not disobedient to God. It's not sin that disqualifies you. It's obedience. Yes. And so David has just now sinned. I mean, he killed Uriah. He's sleeping peacefully, calmly. He's just taken Uriah's wife is in the palace, a boy is born to him, life is going on. The flowers are blowing. the sun is rising, David is still the king, life is cozy. And then one day, David, Nathan is sent to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. Look at the wisdom of Nathan. I mean, he doesn't come to David and say to David, David, God showed me in a dream. You had Uriah killed, didn't you? He doesn't start there. We think because we have some sense of revelation from the Word of God that we have the right to bash people with their sins. That we can point to their sins like we want to. Not knowing the, f- the moment you point a finger, you've already set the scale. The Bible says the measure with which you measure, you will be measured. The measure that you use, it will be measured back unto you. The moment you said you can't, That person is too rich. You're saying to yourself, God, use the same measure when it comes to my salary. The moment you say the pastor just wants your money, God says, when you go into an interview to a company that might be a godly boss, that might be a company that serves God, even in a company business, you can't demand a greater increase because you just want their money. No, it's not the same thing. Be careful the way you measure. No, that's living too large. You're earning 5,000 Rand a month and you think you can already determine what what it means to live large. You're not married. You don't have a wife. You don't have children yet. you You don't have any expenses. And you have the guts to say when somebody is spending too much money. What you're doing is you're setting up your own scale that we use to measure your salary in the future. Because everything you earn comes from God. And sometimes it's not your boss that says no to the increase you request. It's God that whispers in his ear no. And maybe not even God, the scales that you set up yourself. And so Nathan is careful and he's full of wisdom, comes up to David. He says, there was a man. And he uses a story because he needs David to see. Because David at this moment is blind to his own sin. We think if King David could be blind to his own sin, who do you think you are to think that you are You got it. You see it all. Who's this pastor to rebuke me? Well, if he can't rebuke you, he's not your pastor. I don't need you to rebuke me. Well, then we mates. Because a pastor is a shepherd. A pastor is a shepherd. The sheep is safe with the shepherd, but the wolves are not. And wolves is, is, is safe among sheep, but not amongst shepherds. And if you call the pastor a problem because he can't call you out on your sins, and he can't call you out to correct you when you make a mistake, exhort, rebuke, uh, uh, exhort, edify, and teach you. What do you want to call these things? And comfort. No, that's the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this edify, exhort, and comfort. If he can't exhort you and correct you and teach you and help you and, and guide you as a pastor, why do you call him Pastor. But we don't have blind spots. I don't need you telling me where my blind spots are. If David had the same idea, he would never have listened to Nathan because it wasn't God that came. It was Nathan. But Nathan was God sent and God uses people. And so Nathan rocks up in his room, but Nathan uses wisdom because Nathan doesn't want to disqualify the king. Nathan wants to help the king. But Nathan is still the mouthpiece of God. And a prophet is the mouthpiece of God. And the prophet should say, and so we've, we've made this stupid statement saying that prophets will never expose you. How do you know? So every message that comes from God just has to be about how good you are. Prophets have no choice but to speak good and bad. When God speaks, He speaks. And they relay the message from God. And if God is not pleased with you because you're making a mistake and the prophet says you, it's not exposing you, it's helping you. And it says if you receive a prophet, you'll have a prophet's reward. In other words, if you can receive what the prophet says to you, you'll get what the prophet needs is sent for the the purpose the prophet is sent. You'll receive that. But you can't receive that because you don't receive the prophet because you're equal. We're not all equal. We are not all equal. We're equal in the sin that we all come from the dust of the earth but the gifts in us all differ there are different gifts in all of us and although you own a business and write on your facebook profile i'm ceo you're not the same ceo as mark zuckerberg is a ceo you can call it equal and call yourself ceo use the same acronyms for chief executive officer you don't get the same pay you don't have the same influence you don't have the same reach you are not the same and if you want to consider yourself the same, you're disqualifying God's ability to reach you. Because imagine just a servant walks up to David and says, David, I want to talk to you about something. That servant would lose his head before he walks through that door. But here comes the prophet Nathan. And he uses wisdom. He's the mouthpiece of God. He has some insight. Not everything that you hear from God should be blurted out. Sometimes God reveals certain things to you, not to tell people but to share with, and share with people, but to pray about. So Nathan comes to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks of herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished. And he grew up together with him and with his children. He ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler came to the rich man and refused to take from his own flock, from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against this man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, chapter 11, no word of as the Lord lives. David's righteousness never flares up when it's him. When David has Uriah killed, David doesn't go like, this is not godly. You don't hear the name of the Lord in any of David's letters to Joab, have Uriah killed. You never hear, but as soon as he hears the story about a rich man who has many, that emulates him in the story, says, David, you are the king. You have many wives. And yet you take this one wife from this one man. There was a poor man who had one little lamb who ate with his children. And was like a daughter to him. This man, you took what is his. And David's anger aroused, He says, as the Lord lives." So amazing that he is the king of Israel and so blind to himself. Let me read it to you. He was greatly aroused against this man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man who had done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold the land because he did this thing and because he had no pity. I told you the scales, you, the measurement you use to measure will be measured against you. He says, this man must surely die. He must pay fourfold. He must surely die. He shall restore fourfold the lamb because he has done this thing. He has done this thing and he had no pity. tells me that David had no pity. David has more concern about a poor man's sheep than he had about another man's wife. Some people are so concerned about your money, but they have a complete disregard for how they run their marriages. We're disconnected because we don't see it as apples compared with apples. And so we give it different names. And because it's different names, we give it different categories. And David says, this man with a sheep has to die. It's a sheep, a little sheep. He can repay the sheep, make this man. He says, this man has to die. And he sets up the scales for himself. The problem is not you judging other people. The problem is that you're disqualifying yourself in your judgments. The moment you recognize someone else's sin and don't try and cover it, because love covers a multitude of sins. The moment you don't try and cover it, you're telling yourself, if I were to do that, give me this punishment. And the moment you say that the devil begins to rub, rub his hands, mm. I can now take you out legally by your own confession. I'm trying to teach you, you're listening. We are not suffering because God is bad. We are suffering because we made judgments and statements that we shouldn't have made. And the devil is using that. When you get arrested, they read you your rights in the United States, in South Africa, they just arrest you. And then nobody knows what's supposed to happen. Not even the cops. You have the right to remain silent. Everything you say can. And will be used against you in a court of law. Now you see something. You make a statement. You have the right to remain silent. But most of us choose not to. Everything we say can and will be used against us. And the courts of heaven, Jesus is called your advocate. And he has to argue for you. And the devil brings the charges. He says, this is how this man sees this problem. He says, this man who stole that sheep has to die. And by virtue of that statement, I want to remind you that this man did this. He forgot about it. So he has to die. He is disqualified from ministry because he made that statement. By virtue of that statement, he is disqualified from ministry because he made that statement three years ago. And that, yeah, but I was young. Regardless if you were young or not, the circumstances doesn't count. You said it, you are disqualified because you just disqualified him. And so many of us are disqualified from the blessings of the favor of God because we disqualify others. God's not even involved. And the devil, the, the devil. The devil is playing with you. And David is doing this thing. And David says, this man has to die. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Those are shocking words. You are are this man, you are this man, and this evening I want to tell you, regardless of how pretty you think you are, or righteous you think you are, or holy, look at me, I'm telling you, you're not as holy as you think you are. Wie is te A You're not as holy as you think you are. The moment you think you're holy, you're already disqualified. You're not as holy as you think you are. And as Nathan echoes these words into David's ears and he says, you are that man. I wonder what happens in David's heart. You mean to tell me, Nathan, you know, so it's not hidden from you, Nathan. Nathan, you, Nathan, what what do you mean, Nathan? Uriah. How do you know about that, Nathan? And a king who thought he had hidden a crime, had God watching all along. God saw it. It's not that people saw it. It's not the family of Bathsheba saw it. God. God is the problem. He saw it. God deals with what is the innermost thoughts of a man. He works with your thoughts, not just your behavior and your actions. He works in your heart. God doesn't want, God doesn't like pretend. God doesn't make fake. The devil imitates, not God. He doesn't need you to pretend holy. He purchased for you holiness that is not pretend. He prepared for you righteousness that is not pretend. The righteousness which you own is Jesus that died on the cross. It doesn't come from your attempts to be holy. And the moment you tell someone else they're disqualified, you are saying to God, I don't need your holiness. I am already by myself better than that. And you fail to recognize that you fall short yourself and you're closing the door on God's gift because you're saying, I don't, I don't need it. Because the moment you need it, you have to allow another person to have it too. Who of you need the blood of Jesus? And for that reason, everybody else around you needs it too. At what level do you not need it? Because at that level, you have the right to tell them that you need it, but I don't. But the moment you want to partake, who are you to withhold the same from another? What do you think disqualifies them, but not you? I'm driving this point so that we will never be confused about this again. You cannot point at another person's sin. Who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment? I'm not saying sin is right. Don't get me wrong. I'm just telling you, you're not qualified to point it out. Sin is an absolute problem to God. He, he, a problem that he solved on the cross with Jesus Christ. If you could solve sin, he would not have needed to send Jesus. You could not solve the problem that sin proposed, that sin is projecting, you, that, that, that sin is projecting onto your life and putting on your life. You cannot solve it by yourself. You can't be holy enough to deal with it yourself. You can't de- Jesus had to come and die for it. So at what point do you think that you don't need the same grace that someone else needs? And the moment they need it, your only response is to extend the hand of grace, not a sword. Because the Bible tells you, he says, the book of life, which is sealed in heaven, there is only one that is righteous and holy enough to open the book. It is Jesus, not you. So why do you allow the devil to tell you you're disqualified? And most often the voice of the devil doesn't come from the devil himself. It comes through your circle. It comes from your peers. And David is running this kingdom of his. And while most people in the hallways looks at Bathsheba, she walks past with her son in hand. They look at her and they know. But David goes upon his life because he knows that that doesn't matter. And he thinks he got away with it because he is still the king. He is above it all. And you can get to a place where you're above the opinions of people, but you'll never be above the opinions of God. And so God said to Nathan, you are this man. And I think in David's heart, I think he melted. And the wall that that sin had begun to build in his life, The isolation from God that that thing had been, that that thing wrought in his world. These walls around him, the moment Nathan said to him, You're the man, these walls came crumbling down. And this hard man, David, I think, began to weep. Tears ran down his face. And he realized that I'm a sinner. And this is where salvation and true salvation begins. And now I want to remind you that David is not just here introduced to God. He knows him a lifetime long. You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping; and gave to you the house of Israel and Judah. And if, you had, if it had been too little, I would have given you more. He says to him these words, imagine you're sitting there, Nathan is talking to you, I don't know where he was, but it ima- I imagine David was lying in the bed. What? I don't know if a word says it, but I imagine David walking into the room with the king. He begins to tell him a story. And God says to him, all of these things that you have, wherever you look is your kingdom. I've given you everything. Look at that swimming pool, it's yours. <laughs> look at your wives, it's yours. Abigail is yours. All your children is yours. You can send Joab to a fight a fight for you. It's yours. Saul, who threw a spirit at your head, he is gone. You are the king. You're in his palace. I've given you everything you've ever wanted. If that was not enough, David, I would have given you even more. Who are we in South Africa to decide when God has blessed someone enough? When is someone too blessed by God and what does that look like? I want you to think we're a thinking church. Is that okay? Let's reason about this. When is someone too rich to no longer be blessed by God? When is it, when is it not God? Uh, At what level do you think somebody has become too successful in their career for it to not be God? We give the devil much too much credit. God says to King David, you are the highest office in the land. I would have given you even more, but you had to do that. You you had to do Uriah's wife. You had to, you just had to, didn't you? This is God in the garden of Eden. Don't eat of that tree. That tree belongs to me. Don't eat of that tree. First thing Adam and Eve sees is the tree. Whole planet, first thing they want is a tree. Can't have it, but I want it. God says the same in Malachi about tithing. It is a fact. Tithing is not a New Testament or an Old Testament law. Tithing is a biblical principle. You can get away, you can't get away from it. You can argue about it just ever, however you want. You can philosophize about it just however you please. Do whatever you please about it. It's written in Malachi, the tithe belongs to the Lord. Abraham paid it long before Moses gave the law. He gave it to Melchizedek, who is a type of Jesus. He says to the rich man, the rich man says, I tithe. God says, you do well. God, Jesus never corrects him and says, tithing is gone. We don't need to tithe anymore. It's a tent. It doesn't belong to you. And I'm not saying that if you don't tithe, God is going to crash your finances. It's not the same thing. Do you? David. You just shouldn't have done that. I would have given you everything your heart desires. I would have given you even more. I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And you have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the people of of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me. I didn't despise you God. I just slept with Uriah's wife. Now you despised me. Because in your act, I see what you think about me. He says, you've despised me by sleeping with her. When I looked at her, I never even thought about you, God. That's the point. When I wanted to cover my sin, I was trying to protect the kingdom. Yet you didn't think about me. You despised me when you did that. Do you think I would have had Uriah your, your killed? Do you think that's my nature, my character? And we go, I'm telling you this. Yeah, that's David. We've left. There are people that have left the church for far less than that. Now, I love you, God. I just don't like your church. Just don't like your pastor. Don't like the worship leaders. They look like they're pretending. I'm much more holy than that. I never pretend. Not even Nathan had the guts to do that, but say your say. Say you say. Bible says God rejects the prideful, draws near to the humble. But say you say, man, yes, When we get to grasp these things, it changes our attitude how we deal with God's people. That makes me much more careful the way I talk to you because I'm concerned that God is watching. And in the way I treat you, God is looking and says, Have you despised me? Don't you know that they, her, she, him. Are made in my image, and you handle them as they're nothing, and yet you lift your hands and say, You're a holy God. Let's get it right in your heart first, because if we can fix that, we can fix the rest. It's not about what other people do, it's what you do. We shouldn't try and lead other people if we can't lead ourselves. Get this fixed. Is this, am I saying anything? We're working, we're working, we're working through this. We, we need to get to some, we need to get somewhere. We need to get somewhere. I would have given you more, well, despise the evil. You have killed the right. killed him with the sword. Ah, where were we? Behold, I will raise up an adversary against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your own eyes and give them to your neighbor. And they shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel. You slept with Uriah secretly. I will have that seed multiply and you'll harvest your own wives sleeping with other men in public. David, you're in a corner and the accusation holds and it's a life sentence. You're guilty. You cannot be a Christian and think you're not guilty. No one in this room is not guilty. He says to David, what you did in secret, you slept with Uriah's wife in secret. No one knew you hid it. You had him killed. You think you covered it. This thing I will open up and I will do it in public. This is to King David. This is the problem. Be careful how you judge. It's not about what you see in other people's lives that are wrong. He says, if you see a splinter in someone else's eye, a life, uh, what is this? A Speck in their eye, take out the speck plank in your own eye that you would see. Well, you think you see something, be careful that what is in your life is not bigger. And so David, who's ignored God up to this point, realizes that he's in trouble. And so David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And the first time out of his mouth comes these words, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. The moment he makes this utterance, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan says, the Lord has put your sin away. In this message is locked up the message of the cross. In this message of David and Bathsheba and the sin of David having Uriah killed is locked up the message of Christianity. It's when a man realizes I've sinned against God. What did you do against God? He slept with Uriah's wife. Some of you haven't gone there yet. You can't even get a date. I said it this morning. Some of you haven't even kissed the girl yet. Never mind sleeping with her. You've not gone this far. But we're all guilty. And the moment he makes this utterance, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. I think the moment he said that, he realized something. I've sinned against God. But he did it to a man. But he did it against God. Our testimony stands when we handle everything as if it's done unto God. Whatever you do, do it as if unto, done unto God. Put that verse back up. And Nathan makes the statement back to him. He says, the Lord has also put away your sin. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. What does it, what's supposed to happen to this guy who got the sheep killed? Who stole this poor guy's one sheep? He should surely die. God has taken that, he shall surely die, put it on Jesus on the cross, and he died. Because David, as you said, he shall die, you should have died. You should have died. As you had Uriah killed, blood for blood, tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye. Is that how the saying goes? You should have died. Somebody did die. Jesus. David, you are guilty. David, God cannot step onto the scene if you cannot confess that you're guilty. And the moment you look in the mirror and go, I'm guilty, I recognize it. Jesus says, somebody did die. And God took David's deserved death. And he put it on Jesus on the cross. And the moment Jesus died in David's place. The words of Nathan echoes. He has put away your sin. What we should read is he has put that sin on Jesus. And now you shall not die. The message of the cross. You have eternal life in you. Because of what you've done wrong, Jesus says, I take it from you. And I put it on myself. And what was on me, my righteousness, I put on you. How dare you disqualify someone else from the same grace. If anyone sins to the level that God can never speak to them again, do you not think the grace of God is enough? Because for that reason, you should take Psalms out of your Bible. And David at this moment experiences the forgiveness of God. I want to show you this. I want to finish this. Paul reminds us in Romans where he argues about sin. Should we sin more that grace should abound? He says, surely not, we should not. Go with me to Romans 4, verse 6. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now, Paul says, he's trying to explain righteousness being imputed unto the man. He says, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. So where does David do this? Go with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, where is Psalms in this Bible? (laughs) Psalm 32 written by David. Now this gives meaning to the Psalm, put it on the screen. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. David writes from a place of being forgiven. Psalm 52 is even better than I think Psalm 51, I think. We'll get to it now. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David now writes about the story after Nathan visits him. He experiences God's forgiveness. Next verse. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. David, that man should die. By virtue of your own confession. That's what should happen to you. You shall not die. God has put away your sin. Blessed is the man who the Lord does not impute iniquity to. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. In whose spirit there is no deceit. Your convictions, your, your conscience will convict you if your spirit is unclean. You have to figure out how to get yourself clean. The only way to do that is to confess your sins before the only one that can wash you. You don't need people to forgive you. You need God to forgive you. It's not Uriah nor his wife that needed to forgive David. It was God. Watch. Blessed is the man who, do, verse 3. When I kept silence, watch what sin does to you. Sin will destroy you. No one was there. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. Selah, think about this. Stop there for a moment. He says, my bones grew old within me because of my sins. If you are an unrepentant Christian walking around, like you have the right to your holiness and you earned it somehow by praying three times this week, you didn't curse, you didn't cheat anybody. You are right with God now for that. Your bones is growing old within you. He says, I kept silent. It's your silence. You are hiding it, but you're hiding it from God. You think he doesn't see. I'm not here to convict you of sin. I'm here to preach to you that there is forgiveness for our sins. You can get away from the sentence. It says, my bro- bones grew up through my groaning all the day long. Day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. No one was there. No one knew. No one was there when David was tossing and turning in his own bed. Grabbing the, the cushion. Turning the other way. Mm, can't sleep. Can't sleep. Turning around the other way. Night, n- night terrors. The night watch waking up at 2 o'clock, can't sleep, turning. You think you're 15 years old, you don't have that issue yet, wait. The devil walks around like a roaring lion looking for those whom he can devour. Don't let sin get the better of you. It's tossing and turning, tossing and turning, day and night. Next verse. I, acknowledge my, I acknowledged my sin to you. This is repentance. It stops when you invite Jesus back. And my iniquity, I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me my iniquity, the iniquity of my sins. Verse six, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found, surely the flood of great waters, they shall not come near me. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me in my troubles. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Just pause there for a second. You can't sing about the grace of God if you've never experienced the grace of God. You can't experience the grace of God if you think you don't deserve it, nor you need it. If you don't think you need it, why would you sing about it? The sweetness of God's forgiveness. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from troubles. You shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, which must be hardened with a bite with a bit and a brittle, brittle, else they will not come near you. I think this is God speaking to him. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. I want to be like that. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice you righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This comes after confessing sins and God imputes righteousness unto you. But when God says you are my righteousness, you are holy because I am holy. You are, be holy for God is holy, but you are made holy because Jesus Christ takes your place. He clothed you with his holiness. He clothed you with his righteousness. He imputes righteousness unto you. You take his place and he takes your place. He dies and you live. It says, be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, you righteous. And shout for joy, you upright men. Next verse. Is that it? It's an amazing Psalm. This is what David wrote. I want to read you another one. Can we read another one of David's Psalms that deals with the same issue? This, most people are in agreement that this Psalm is the one that's, that really deals with the issue. Let's see if I have it, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, to the chief in the Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my sin in my sin, and in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth on the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. That verse there, just leave it up on the screen. You desire truth on the inward parts. God is after what you think. Don't lie to yourself. Out of everything you can do, don't lie to yourself. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Next verse, where are we, verse what? Make me hear joy and gladness, that my bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You run the risk of losing God's spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. They shall offer bulls on your altar. David wrote this psalm. This is an amazing psalm. This is after he met, made this mistake. God restores him. I'm gonna rush to finish. I'm gonna continue next week. There's more. There's more to the story. There's more to the story. So much more to the story. We have to hear what happened to Bathsheba's son. You can go read it, but it's different when you hear it. David was forgiven, Nathan says to him, you shall surely not die. This is God's hand extended to you. Tonight when you sing, you don't sing as a judge. How do you sing as a judge that could condemn a person to hell because of what they did? You disqualify yourself. You sing as a one washed by the blood of Jesus. You think my sin is not that great? You, 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 what if you're blind to what you do? Your thoughts, your heart, your opinions, laziness all these things disqualify us. What if you could lift up your hands and say, God, I'm forgiven. And God begins to move in your heart and you sing of his righteousness. David wrote these songs because he had understanding. God is dealing with all of us so that we can get to a place where the body of Christ can come together. There'll be no unity when lines of division is drawn by men who think they can There'll be no unity in the body of Christ when we all find fault with one another. That church doesn't do it right. You can't leave this church, go to another church and and think you're in separate churches. Have you no, have you no understanding? You don't leave your pastor, go to another pastor, are you an orphan? Is it not one God, one house? Is it not the, the universal church, the body of Christ, one thing? You can't run from the one to the other and think you're in different places. That one is bad. We can't grow when we don't have understanding. What I tried my very best to bring home to you, if David was disqualified because of his sins, don't think you cut it. David at least achieved something. But when we come before God and confess our sins, he says, create in me a clean heart. And God looks at that clean heart. God can work with that. God wants nothing less than a clean heart in you. God is not going to allow you to get to where he wants you to be and fake you all the way there. You can't pretend to care about God's people. If you're a U you group leader, you can't pretend that you care so that you can become an area leader. Won't cut it with God. We'll cut it with men, you can hide it from me and I'll appoint you. But God sees it. You can't tell your mom you love her, but silently you hate her because she didn't perform well. And God goes, oh, my beloved child, let's give you a great husband. God wants it to be right. He wants it to be right. When you say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That when you make a statement, let it be true. God wants that, that to happen. And he doesn't want you to fake pretend that it's going to happen. He wants you to mean it when you say it. And the only way He can get you there is to lift up a mirror in front of you and you'll stand in front of that mirror and see and behold who you are. From dust I come to dust I shall return. Without the divine breath of God, I am just but dust. And until God begins to live in me and make my body a temple of God, I am just a vessel on this earth that is wasting time to a very catastrophic end. I need Him to make my body a temple of God. I have no purpose and no meaning without God in me. And I have no hope of survival without God as my anchor, as my north star, as my hope and my refuge. He protects me, he guards me, he is the one that forgives me, he overshadows me, he protects me, he covers me, he is the one that upholds me, he is the one that has the strength to carry me all the way through. I'm held in his hand, he doesn't hold, I don't hold him in mine. You don't hold God, God holds you. And when you can say to him, God, I need you, God tightens his grip on you and he's got you.